I remember getting my first TV in my bedroom when I was in eighth grade, I think. Um, it was a really big deal because it meant that I got to watch my own TV shows and I got my own way because I didn't have to watch whatever my mom was watching in the living room. But looking back on it, it's sort of funny to me because it didn't really even matter that much. The TV I had in my room was just like most were back then. It uh, had a top knob for the lower numbered VHF channels and it had a bottom knob for the higher number UHF channels and, and it had a pair of rabbit ear antennas on it that I had totally wrapped probably with a full roll of Reynolds wrap in hopes of getting a stronger, clearer signal and a clearer picture. But even on the clearest nights when all that aluminum foil was doing its job and able to grab the clearest picture possible. There were still only four channels that I could choose from. And I usually ended up watching the same thing in my room as my mom was watching downstairs anyway. And I loved it. But now I am totally overwhelmed with choices. There are 200 TV channels on satellite. Um, there's probably at least 10 streaming services on my TV and they all have hundreds of options and they're all on demand. And of course, there's also the internet with literally pos anything that I could possibly want to see and it's totally readily available for me. And now I can't choose anything to save my damn life. I mean, it's not that there's not plenty that I like that's available. I mean, somehow whenever I'm searching for something to view in the evening, there never seems to be anything that's exactly what I want in that exact moment. I am spoiled and now I am selfish and I don't want to watch a great TV show or a movie. I don't want to watch a TV show or a movie that I believe I'll really enjoy. I don't even want to watch a show or a movie that at some point was so interesting to me that I actually added it to my watch list. No, I want exactly what I want right now, in that moment. Those options in my watch list are just shows that really interested me for a minute or two yesterday or two weeks ago or two hours ago. Right now, I want exactly what will satisfy my needs in this moment, and I'll settle for nothing less. And let's be clear here, my hyper-focused drive to satisfy only my Immediate desires never really seems to actually work in my favor or result in my satisfaction anyway, because I'll probably just keep on searching and watching trailers of possibilities, which I'll probably add to my watch list, um, liking one of enough to watch it later. And I'll keep doing that until it gets too late to start anything new anyway, and I'll just end up rewatching another 30 Rock. And if you are watching or listening right now and you want to claim that you haven't done something similar at some point in the past year, then I will selfishly refuse to believe you. Because the truth is, we are all spoiled by the luxuries of our modern world. And for many of us, it's resulted in sort of a reduced ability to, in more and more circumstances, even consider accepting less than exactly what we want. And with every luxury and opportunity that's offered to us, from ordering home grocery delivery from our cell phone to turning on the lights and the air conditioning with our voice assistant to allowing our knee-jerk opinions to be known to billions of strangers in online posts in a matter of seconds. It seems that humans are growing more and more connected to each other while simultaneously becoming more and more isolated from each other and expecting our individual way more often. Has a seemingly growing epidemic of selfishness been a cause for our diminishing ability to stop so much division in our society? I'm Clay Aiken. Richard Louie is a writer and a journalist and an anchor for MSNBC, who, in his new book, Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness, researches and discusses the importance of selflessness and the incredible effect that it can be made on society, on politics, on public discourse, and on our individual lives when we take more time to think more about others and less about ourselves. Is our country too selfish? And how do we get that way? How can we be more selfless? And how can we encourage it in our politics? And how the heck are we going to get along? Oh, something happened there. All right. How's that now, guys? Hello. Yes. Hey. That, sorry about that. There's that voice. 
I can recognize from the other room. It's kind of embarrassing, I'll admit. I can recognize anchors on MSNBC by their voice <laughs> from another room all the time. I'm not ashamed of it, although I am well, a little bit know, ashamed of it. But Clay, you know that as a singer, we all recognize audio much better than we do physical, actually. Uh, so that's this amazing thing. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I did, a, I did a photo shoot years ago in Aspen, and um, I remember getting out of the car and hearing the person who was helping with our bags at the hotel speak. And I said, um, I, I was like, oh my God, you're from North Carolina, aren't you? I could hear it with just a few <laughs> words. And he knew, right? And he said, yes. I said, hold on, say something else. And he said, I mean, a few more words. And I narrowed it down to the part of the state he lived in, like the Eastern part of the state. You did not. I did. I absolutely did. Because I can hear I, voices and accents I can hear in anybody else except for myself, because I don't think I have one. No, I, I can't tell an accent at all. I just um, you must be joking. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing Clay Aiken is what I'm hearing. Well, maybe <laughs> I, I grew up never thinking I had an accent because I watched the Andy Griffith Show and the Andy Griffith Show. Yeah. Every time they went to Raleigh, yep. people spoke like this in Raleigh, and I assumed yep. that I must as well. And it wasn't until after <laughs> Idol, and I remember watching myself on Leno for the first time, the first time I'd seen myself speak on TV, and I thought, Oh, oh my God, I'm a hick. <laughs> I know no, it's there. Uh, you're distinctive. Dis well, that's that's the professional in you, knowing how to write <laughs> and knowing no, how to make no, people I'm feel good. I'm serious about that. I'm serious about <laughs> no, that. No, it is. It's. I'm sure it's distinctive. I don't. I don't doubt that. I couldn't get rid of it if I wanted to at this point. But I can do British. I can do other accents. But I can't not do American, because like like Midwestern <laughs> American, because I think I sound like that already. <laughs> I couldn't do your accent, the, the middle American news anchor accent, because I think I already sound like that. But I know I don't. Are you but in? Um, I'm in New York. Yeah. Are but you? I mean, but the one thing you know is that as soon as you speak, though, Clay, everybody knows, oh, that's you. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's it's, I don't think it's because of regionality. It's like that's just like what we all remember about yeah. your amazing skill is that's Clay Aiken's voice. Well, that and and because wisely. The entertainment business has not allowed too many people who have my accent <laughs> to be in the public eye. So <laughs> I'm the only one who sounds like a redneck and it's easy to pick up. It's me and Leslie Jordan um, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, I am. You know, it's funny because, you know, I lived in Atlanta for five years and some folks will say, Richard, are you did you at any time? Did you are you from that part of the mason dixon thing and i was like no i'm not but i do enjoy i mean like i've always enjoyed um southern accents i don't know why even though i'm from california northern california it's it's something i've always enjoyed did you I, pick I, I don't it know up why. when you were in atlanta when you were when you speak to friends <laughs> who are still in atlanta does your voice change any at all when you talk to them you know um it i think in general it it is that way for being from california but i guess when i'm back in atlanta i because I enjoy that we're all okay together sort of um, space that um, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I haven't been back in a long time. I mean, I, I left Atlanta when I left CNN in 2010. I guess I haven't really been back for a long time, but... When you say we're all okay together, you don't mean just like that region, that that area has that vibe more than other places, do you? Well, you know, I think that uh, I've always associated... Uh, the South with being that way for, for me. I don't, I mean, I'm right or wrong. I don't know, but that's been my perspective. So that's why I've always been drawn to the, the culture and the accent. The time We're that slower. I slower. We don't rush through things as much. We're slower, <laughs> but I'll be honest with you. And I, I love nothing more than North Carolina, period. But we got our yeah. problems. So <laughs> I know yeah. that, I know that people, people, it's, it's definitely the more stereotyped of the American regions because people assume the South is incredibly racist and incredibly, you know, hateful, which it certainly is in some places, but not everywhere. And then yeah, they assume we're stupid, which actually that part when too it comes simplistic. To me, might be true. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, Clay, I know we're not, we're not into it or maybe we are. It doesn't matter whether we're recording or not. I mean, I'm thinking of like one of my great mentors who's right down the middle that way is uh, Elizabeth Dole. Um, who has really taught me to give back a lot and servant leadership. And she, as you know, she's a, a great patron of, of philanthropy, and as you are, and giving back from your great state. 
And so, okay, so if we hadn't started, we need to, but because I want to ask you, like Elizabeth Dole, how that's an interesting um, that's an interesting yeah. name to pull out in this. How did you and Elizabeth Dole become tight yeah. like that? <laughs> it is, uh, or <laughs> it it is. You know, as you know, in the business that you're in, and you've met just about anybody you could ever want to, or if you want to, you just it's very easy for you to pull up. You know your your phone and your your uh, you just Google the number and you can call them. unless you're running for Congress. At which point, nobody takes your calls. But yeah, outside I, of that, in that year, I couldn't get anybody to take my call. Well, but outside bravo of that, to you it's for been doing fun. it. But bravo for you for doing <laughs> they it. They all knew I was asking for money. Yeah, <laughs> but now no, take bra- <laughs> And that is the weird thing. Uh, yeah, that's a different pod, yeah different right? thing. Sorry, <laughs> that's a different pod, but it's a great pod because every time anybody steps up to run. That is a great American uh, ability and uh, an expression of patriotism. And the fact that you did that is really amazing because it's it, you knew it going into it. It was not going to be easy, right? I didn't know as much when I went in as I did when I finished. Let's do that. Let's say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but it was a very, it was definitely a learning experience. I don't know if I'll do it again. I don't know that I won't. But um, did you just call Elizabeth Dole up? Is that what <laughs> No. Is that what you're telling uh, so, me? I started taking care of my dad about seven, eight years ago, and he's in California, and I live in New York. I'm in Upper West right now, Upper West Side, and um, I started this process of flying back and forth two or three times a month, um, and I'd spend three days in Cal. I'd spent more days in California than any other place, basically, to take care of my dad, who has Alzheimer's. And and then what happened was Elizabeth Dole decided to start a an NGO that was focusing on military caregivers um most of them who were post 9-11 millennial quite young and our organization uh knew that i was big on caregiving so they asked me to you know maybe consider being part of her launch program and then there began the the uh, the the great opportunity to meet elizabeth dole um and she has been very clear about what she does. It's nonpartisan. She's not taken aside. This is all about just the caregivers in military families. Don't care which side of the aisle or in the middle or whatever that we need to remember that we need to take care of the people that you know serve the country. And so I was all in, of course, uh, as a journalist because I knew that she wasn't gonna, she wasn't taken aside, and you know she would have potentially been our our first uh, you know candidate for 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 the white house right. uh, uh, uh being a female uh but whatever history brings you you as you know and in politics you never know what's going to happen but she was always very gracious about it and she brought me in and and in all the conversations we've had over the last four years since we launched her military caregivers program um it's never been about politics it's always been let's not talk about politics let's talk about how we help people Let's talk about how we take care of people. I, you know, I, I definitely want to talk about your book because I'm actually very excited about the topic of your book. But I want to keep pulling this thread for just a minute longer. Yeah. Because as you talk about Senator Dole, um, I am sitting here thinking about her husband. Um, I'm thinking about quite a few Republicans who I didn't vote for myself um, when he ran for president nor when she ran for Senate here. But I can't help but think as a Democrat, how many times over the past few years I've thought, God, maybe we shouldn't have demonized that group, um, those particular ones. Um, and I wonder, do you think somebody like, I mean, she's obviously, she's happy where she is now. She's aged. She's gotten to a point where she's not going to run for anything anymore. But but someone with her in like real pedigree ran the Red Cross, was secretary of two cabinets, cabinet secretary in two different administrations, yes. a senator. Do you Trailblazer. think someone like her would be able to win now? Uh, yes, um, I do. That's Richard taking off his journalist hat, me being Richard, the um, big fan of our country. Uh, hat on. Yeah, I think she she represents the values, the energy, um, the spirit of what's right and what has brought us to where we're at. And she does it in a way that is honest and forthright. And you couldn't try to even trick her into get, <laughs> getting to say anything right now that's partisan. Her <laughs> idea right now for the right thing to do is the right thing to do. 
And um, what's isn't, that? Isn't sometimes not being partisan just as dangerous these days, though? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with, I'm all for not being partisan at times. I own it when I want to. I happily shed it when I don't want to deal with it myself. Yeah. But sometimes people get in more trouble for not taking a, a harsh stand on the right or the left and trying to rise yeah. above it. But you know this, it's not all things for all people. And if you decide that you want to see two or three or four sides, or you decide sometimes you only see one side because this idea of false equivalency, I get it and I I accept it. Um, I just don't think there's one size fits all. And uh, I look at every situation personally as a journalist, I have to look at all facts, but as a as a an American, I, I do look at it as sometimes it will be false equivalency, sometimes it won't be. Um, but I'm not going to prejudge what anybody might take of the facts that are given. So my job is to look at the facts on the two or three or four sides. And it's up to you then after that to decide what you do with those facts. When, Isn't that when a it little comes, rare now? And, and more... Um, I, I don't think so. You know, what's happened is like whatever the core was or is around that type of journalism, there's all this other stuff around it. Like, the, as you know, Clay, the amount of media content we got, we have now compared to even 10 years ago is two or three times greater. So the stuff that was there is still there. It's just you got all this other stuff around it. And you've interviewed a lot of the people in all of media in in your program. And so you know that it's it's much bigger than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so, I, you know, often what I say to folks is, well, isn't this like, I, I don't like the word uh, fake news because it's, it really is a derogative, a derogatory towards uh, the practice of journalism. We work really, really hard. And, and as you might know, there are 70 journalists typically that die every year thinking, News is the right way to live. And they do look to America when they are losing their lives. They do think of this great big mountain that we represent. We may not always get it right, right? But so fake news to me is it is a derogatory towards those people that I know look to us thinking news and facts are worth working super, super hard. And and so I, I don't like that word. I know it's used a lot. I, I I use false instead. I just I just don't want to make it too easy of a fun word that is well. It's given definitely part of the lexicon too much. But I gotta say, you know, we've been doing this show for over a year now. Um, obviously, we don't have journalists every week, but we have had a lot of journalists. I kinda, yes. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm often wrong, but I cannot remember any journalist that we have had on this show who has specifically made a point to differentiate between their profession and their opinions, as you have done twice already in the last few minutes to <laughs> most, most journalists, even now, some of the, the greatest um, are still more than happy to add a little bit of commentary to what they're talking about and who is that for? Who, who are they doing it for themselves, their viewers, their readers? Um, what, what do you think got us there? Yeah, you know, I, you know, Clay, I mean, there are folks that you will listen to and I will listen to who, you know, told a lot of stories and seen a lot of stuff like Tom Brokaw is one of those people. Andrea Mitchell is another one of those people that I, I those are two people I look at um, that I do want to hear their opinion because they've seen so much right they've reported on so many things i do want to hear your op-ed i context, really do want right historical exactly. context if you're bob schieffer and you've seen exactly. it all then exactly. tell me how we did this one time before in the 70s or whatnot right exactly exactly that's so you and i are in the same lane when it comes to that that is exactly what i feel and i have more difficulty i guess when i don't have those folks that have seen so much stuff and have the context and are offering an idea of the way what's right or wrong. Um, and, and look, op-eds tend to, to lean that way, but I, I do want to hear from the folks that you just mentioned. I do. Um, 
Lester Holt doesn't do a lot of op-eds, but I do want to hear about what Lester thinks because he's well, he's, he's been a there a lot. But you know what? One of the reasons that folks like Peter Jennings and Lester Holt and Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather for so many years and Walter Cronkite were so relied upon was because, like Lester, we didn't or don't or didn't know what party they belong to. In fact, I, am I right? I feel like I don't want to put him on blast here, but I kind of feel like didn't we see something a few years ago when he was where Lester's voter registration came out and it was we learned what it was and people were all sort of shocked that he had registered one way and he still I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was, I but people like yeah. I feel like he had registered Republican, which is, you know, great. But I don't again, I'm not reporting that here. I'm not a reporter, but I don't <laughs> know what good. party. but I don't know what party Wolf Blitzer's in. I mean, I'm starting yep. to guess, but I didn't I for years didn't know. And I probably could tell you pretty quickly who most folks on a lot of these stations, all of them <laughs> voted for this time around. Yeah, um, you know, about political affiliation, you know, because I'm very open about talking to political affiliations in my family um, because it's it's um, indicative, I think, of uh, the opportunity to be in this country and, and what we offer to uh, the world. You know, my father, who registered as a Republican, but then changed party to become a Democrat. My father's a pastor. When he saw um, Jesse Jackson run for president, um, he's like, well, I don't care what party I am. I got to vote for this this reverend. I got to I got to vote for this man of faith because my father is a pastor, and he he changed parties. And it wasn't about you know it's more about his faith as in terms of why he did it. And it was very interesting when I did because at the time I was like oh, I don't know I don't know what my dad's doing, but when I looked past it when I was actually writing the book to understand and as well as reporting on and working for MSNBC, obviously you know because of you know, the stereotype around what we might have been in the last 10 years of leaning one way versus another. That's something that I was often asked about. And so my, my father who, who did that always gave me this idea of, you know, politics is very important, but there's sometimes there's other things that drive your decisions. And so, you know, I've had all parties basically in my family growing up and it was more for at least uh, uh, the folks in my family um, what was right for them um, at their core. Right. Well, I mean, if you speak to people, if you have lunch with those who you don't agree with, which we'll get ah. to, um, uh, <laughs> but if you speak to people, I think most folks who I'm friends with in my neighborhood, I don't know all, I mean, I know what's, who some of them voted for. Sometimes it comes up, a lot of times it doesn't. Um, most people feel or say they feel the same way that, um, you just talked about how there are a lot of other, not everything's about politics, a lot of other yes. things inform our decisions. But those people for whom politics is either a job or it is a focus of what they're supposed to report on or read on or know about, um, there's not, there are not many things that don't get looked at through the lens of it in some way, especially on the internet. And I, you know, I know people who who listened to the, over the past year probably are tired of me saying this but i've said many times i think about the number of choices that i had growing up when it came to what was available to me yep. um and i think about the fact that i had there was one radio station we could get clear so we all listened to it you know <laughs> and i could only afford one cd a month. So I listened to that and I enjoyed it. And now we've got so many other, so many other possibilities. I think that it has led to us being a little, we're, we're interested, we're sort of interestingly becoming more and more connected to people technologically, right? Mm -hmm. You can post yep. your opinion, yep. but yep. we're also becoming so much more siloed and spoiled and yep. selfish about getting exactly what we want and nothing else will do, including compromise, including, you know, just being willing to take something that's not perfect because it's good. Um, and so you wrote Enough About Me, which I, by the way, absolutely love the title of because I'll be completely frank. There are a lot of folks who sometimes I think in your job are more interested in being the star of the story <laughs> than reporting on it. Not you, won't say who, but there are plenty. Um, the, the subtitle, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. And 
I w- I'm interested in in the book in general because I think the topic is sort of brilliant and what I've kind of felt for a while already. But it's also interesting to me because as a journalist, you chose a topic that wasn't overtly political and you chose a topic that um, could that both sides need to hear and probably won't mind picking up because it's not even the color cover is yellow it's not politically (laughs) there's no it's not red or blue i think so why this why selflessness what made you think all of a sudden i think correctly that this was the problem of our age you know clay it's like way above um i knew when i was talking with the um publisher and the agents about it and we've all had our fair share. Uh, you definitely know this with agents. I don't do well, that. I don't like <laughs> talking to them. But I have no idea. What some you're more power about, to right? you. Talk about yeah. selfishness. Yeah, teach me. Yeah, right. selflessness. Uh, so, they will not tell you anything about. <laughs> but I, I, I knew that it was above our pay grade. First of all, like I knew that it was um, a big, a big topic that is for other folks. But the reason why I wanted to do it is because of um, the caregiving of my father. And then I had to, and I'm not saying at all that I knew what it is. I was more like I was trying to understand what it might mean. Cause all of a sudden I was, I was changing my career and I was flying across the country and I was putting in, you know, three, 400,000 miles at least a year. And, you know, why am I doing this? And what is it that is being tested in, in who I am? And I didn't want to make a, a big deal out of it. But when I was talking with the agents and the publishers and they said you know it's 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 the time that we might discuss about uh the opposite of what we've done so well at which is to really uh take uh to 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 realize that great american uh right and tradition which is i have a voice right i i have something to say and we've got done so well at it that we've maybe done too well at it and that we've forgotten that um we need to uh, look at the others that have gotten us to where we're at. And so I, I was definitely open to it, but I, uh, as, as, as you know, from the book, I, I don't approach it like I'm an expert. I approach it more like I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I am the first chapter being called halftime means like, I don't know what's happening. I just wanted to explore why am I doing this for my father? Right. Why, why am I deciding to do this? And that it's an exploration with a journalistic view. And I, I don't profess to, understand the the answer only to say that i'm going to dig into it as a journalist might which is that's why as as you know there's a lot of studies there's a lot of tests in it there's even poems in the back there are uh there there are, there are playbooks there's all these things you know because of my business background i i knew that i had to prove it practically like i couldn't just say it it can't be a bunch of you know stuff that's way up here it had to be both that'd be high and low and in the middle and all the, all along the way well it's very di- i mean it's digestible and it's understandable but tell i mean which is it's it's looks by title like a self-help book but it's not i mean it i is. think it i mean i guess it to you to maybe to you it is to me maybe i need more help than, <laughs> than most <laughs> but it's a i mean i think what's fascinating about it is that again maybe it's because i look at so much like i just said many do I, by nature, look at a lot of stuff through the political lens. You don't come at it that way, but it's certainly, it's certainly, to me, helped me kind of understand, yeah, this is, this is A, a problem. And, you know, I like the fact that you talk about, unlike a lot of other books, about ways that we can individually work to try to fix ourselves and make ourselves slightly less selfish and ways that maybe we didn't quite realize. I mean, the the idea about having three lunches, tell, tell folks about yeah that and why you put it in specifically. Yeah. I mean, like Clay, it's like, it's uh you said self-help book. It, it is, and it's an anti-self self-help book, yeah, which fair. is a, a weird, yes. every time I say it, it's like, well, what, what, what are you doing? Um, and, but yeah, we try to be like an instruction manual, very basic and, straightforward and I, I i i i i like to say it's 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 a blue collar approach to a white collar issue or concept because i don't want us to stay in the ivory i don't like ivory towers i don't like like this is the way it is and therefore you must do you know growing up as a pastor you mean, the, son. You, mean you don't like the selfish 
way to present problems is what you're saying uh, my way is the yeah. right way and nothing else yeah and I, and, and I kind of got that you know my dad was the he was like this is the way you have to do this you have to wake up on Sunday you got to do these things and same same here I, I didn't have a pastor parent but I had you, to do the you same got way. it right yes. you know what I'm talking about so that that was something that I rejected very early on and then I was like I don't know what's happening and yeah, so the approach to it is a little, I, I would say, strange because it's not political. But like I, I do talk about politics in Chapter 10. It's called Republicans and Democrats. And the reason why I call it Republicans and Democrats is I try to break down the idea of, you know, the idea of politics at its very essence is so that we can be a better group. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you even know i was going to say that more say i can't i just just the idea that that was the goal and here we are <laughs> so, oh lord <laughs> the american experiment yeah, that, that's the idea and so so i was trying to remind us that if if we if we try to remember that then that's the way if we practice politics which is the distribution of scarce resources for the betterment of of some equity and equality, then, then we're doing okay. And we go back to that, you know, cause the, the reason why, and I, and I say it in the book, you know, I remember my first political experience when my mentor who just passed away asked me to be as a campaign manager at the age of 19. And I didn't know what left or right men or Democrat or, or, or Republican. But when we would gather in San Francisco for the meetings, he was a college board guy. He was a college board representative. He wanted to, they were always trying. That was a step before you became city council, right? Like you would do that, and then you would, then you would, you would, you would run for city council. But when we would gather for the meetings, it would be always um, the Latino American, the African American, the Asian American, the LGBTQ, and we would all, all those representatives would gather on the table and say, "Who do we push up to the city council together?" And they'd pick one together. And they'd all support each other. And I remember those meetings. So I didn't know what it meant, as I was saying, because I didn't know the policy. I just knew that there's all these different people on the table gathering. And they're all trying to help each other. And not because they wanted one party. They'd said, no, we all have to help somebody get up to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. And the, the thing is that today... I'm betting they don't probably have those meetings as much because they do have representation now from all those groups very healthily. But at the time, it was all of them together working to understand uh, it's not for me, it's for you. So now I want to tell you about an awesome and really incredible and delicious service that is totally perfect for our times. These strange times we're living in. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and incredible mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door, and you will love them. Um, you can skip the trips to the grocery store. You can cook at home. Easy, fun, affordable. It's totally America's number one meal kit. That is legit. It is the number one meal kit. Um, and, and with HelloFresh, you can eat healthier. It's not ever been easier to eat healthier because you don't even really have to think about, you know, all of the ingredients in that processed dish that you were going to pick up at the fast food restaurant or that processed dish you were going to put in the microwave. You can actually cook real fresh food right in your house. They've got locale, carb smart, vegetarian, pescatarian, all the different Terrian options every week. And no matter what you choose, every single recipe has fresh produce and it is sourced right from farmers. So we're talking about fresh food. Um, they offer 25 or more recipes every week. And they've got, like I said, the vegetarian meals. They've got craft burgers, uh, a whole bunch of extra special gourmet options so you can impress people if you have folks over, um, impress them with gourmet meals, um, and that, you know, you cooked yourself. And there's something kind of everybody will like what's in these kits because there's something for everybody to enjoy. All the recipes are professionally designed by top, top of the line professional chefs and real experts in nutrition, because I got to tell you, I'm not one of them, but they've got them. They ensure that these things are delicious and simple. And, you know, everything's, pre the best part is it's pre-measured because anytime I try to cook, 
I got to tell you, I always screw it up because I will screw up the measurement. Or worse, I'll be like, oh, I really like soy sauce and I'll add extra in. And, you know, I'll totally screw it up with HelloFresh. You don't have to worry about that because they measure everything for you. And you don't have to worry about, you know, extra produce that is going to sit and get, you know, bad in your refrigerator because you had to buy a whole bag of asparagus because no, HelloFresh sends you exactly what you need for these recipes. So go to HelloFresh.com slash one, two, heck. You're going to use those numbers. It's HelloFresh.com slash the number one, the number two, and the word heck, and use code the number one, the number two, heck. Put them all together in one word. So go to HelloFresh.com slash 12HECK and use the code 12HECK for 12 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash the number one, the number two, the word HECK all together and use the code 12HECK. For 12 free meals, including free shipping for America's number one meal kit. Remember, go to HelloFresh.com slash the number one, the number two, heck, and use code word 12HECK for 12 free meals, including free shipping, or look for the link in our show notes. Has necessity, did, did necessity breed selflessness in a situation like that, right? To, to work together as a team because you had Absolutely. to work together as a team. Um, I think folks would argue that it's good that they don't have to work together as a team now. Um, it's good that there is representation. Minus, yeah. Well, but, there, but it's good that there's not yeah. the absolute need. It's good that there's more than one seat yes. for all the minority um, populations. But has that has has that kind of been a double-edged sword in a way? Because now it's opened up the ability for as you said before, everybody has a voice. Everyone should have a voice. But I guess, what do we do to make folks get back to a place where they realize there are still 330 million of us here? Mm -hmm. um, and yep. as much as I might be able to get whatever I want on my computer, yep. um, I probably can't get exactly what I want out of my elected official, out of my neighbor, out of, um, I, how do we get people back to recognizing that, okay, maybe I'm not right all the time? Yeah. You know, you brought up earlier and I appreciate, um, you knowing everything about the book and, you know, one of the things that, cause we try to be very practical on the, the idea of three lunches, um, is we have this perceptions of what the other might be the other, um, and uh, that's a problem, right? Like, let's just say uh, you don't like gray, you know, I don't like red, whatever the case may be. But this study that I'm about to quote, which we dig into the book, which came out of Stanford, was they looked at those who don't like each other uh, because of race or orientation. They looked at hundreds of, of pairings and they made those pairings have three gatherings where they would get together for a lunch or a coffee or a an event or a meeting of some sort. And the indicators that were measured up here of prejudice went down to right above zero after three lunches, three coffees, three gatherings. Because there's a person. Yes. And, and the thing about the beauty of our technology is that we have larger numbers of weak ties. Weak ties are great because you know, we may not, we might not meet each other. Otherwise, like you and I being able to meet right now is a weak tie because we're looking through a, a camera and we're able to talk, but I would never get to meet you. And it's such a great honor to meet you, Clay, because I, <laughs> I, I, I watched you when I was working in, in business. I was I've sitting got pain in a, on my pants and I'm no, probably sick. No, <laughs> I was, I was sitting in a TV in Singapore and I, I missed my, you know, missed being back in the U S and there was American Idol and, and you, look, you get this all the time, but you know, those weak ties are important. Like this is great for me to be able to meet you here and, 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 and get to meet you in a way I would never have been able to do otherwise. But the strong ties, which are the face-to-face -face stuff, which is that inner five, that, that inner 15 and the inner 20, when, and as we change what those people are in those spaces are the way we break down the problems that have, read so much of what you're talking about, which is a sort of, oh, it's very easy to put that category there, that category over there, and that category over there. 
and and the study that we dig into in the book out of Stanford is really telling about the simplicity of not only what can work to break down those walls, number one, but number two, what it tells us about what humans are, like we're supremely social, supremely physical, face-to-face entities, mammals. Like that, that is just what we are. We, like the, why is it that we love talk shows so much? Why is it that podcasts like this succeed so well? Why, do, why is it that we like to do this talking thing? We're, in, in, in the book, we talk about how even when we sleep, we are evaluating the relationships that we've just built that day. Like, oh, who right. did I just meet? Right? Who do we just, who did I just meet? Do they like me? Did I say the right thing? Um, and then what, they turn was, into a donkey in your dream. Like, uh, <laughs> right, right. Well, whatever the, the case may be. Right. You, <laughs> you know what I'm talking so, so, so we are supremely social beings, even when we sleep. And that right. says a lot about what then, therefore, makes us successful as a society. But as I, when I got to that part about the lunches, because you challenge people to do that with three people who they would never <laughs> normally yes. associate yes. with or socialize with. Right. I got to be honest with you, and I'm sure I ain't the first to tell you, <laughs> at this point in you know where we are granted covid have, assuming COVID weren't a problem, because that's all, its own issue. But even in 2019 or the beginning of 2020, getting people to even agree to do that. I mean, I've got friends who are, you know, quite partisan or, and who, who kind of actually think they're not, but um, <laughs> are quite partisan yeah. and yeah. won't even take that first step. So, so what you suggest sounds yeah. to me like a great first step, but to a lot of people, it's sort of the second one. So how do you get people willing to do it? Yeah. And, and that, that list that I suggest that you build of, uh, you people you'd never, ever think of, um, you know, that's a small step. Um, you don't have to ever see them, but you might consider listening to them or, seeing what people like them are like, or even just doing a search. The lunch thing, as much, as simple as that sounds, right, Clay, is what you're saying? There are some people who won't, who won't even do, do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to hang out with that person because I just completely see them as being different. And so the list is certainly the idea of, of, of starting to get there, um, of considering that. And maybe that one hour is too much. So maybe it is instead somebody at work. Right. Uh, it is a hello. Or it a neighbor a, who had a sign in their yard that you didn't agree with. Right. It, there's a lot of equivalencies that don't have to be, I sit down for an hour. It's a, hi, how are you? It is a smile. It is, um, as, you, as you know, in the book, you know, we talk about what scientists told us, which is we make a conscious choice about every 15 minutes. And therefore, every 15 minutes, we have one opportunity to say, okay, so how how might I think about not myself for that? So let's say I'm going to get a lunch, right? Or do I decide I'm going to get online and donate to a local, um, you know, food bank and I'll give them $15 I'll give them $10 or five. So there, it it doesn't have to be the the one hour commitment, maybe just the five minute commitment or the $5 commitment. Because Desmond Tutu and, and, and Mother Teresa are amazing people, but they represent to you and me, as you know, we, we did some original research in, in the book, and we determined that the majority of people want to do something selfless, but they also think that it means an entire shift of lifestyle. Like, I have to become Desmond Tutu and Mother Teresa. That's too big. And I get that, because you and I cannot be that. That's way above our pay grade. And the... Th- well- you also mm-hmm. talk about so when I did when I did spam a lot on Broadway many many years ago I remember mm-hmm. that I and this is kind of a stupid story but I'm going to make it make sense I hope. love it, um, it. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> no, normally they don't make sense but I remember I had a I had a part of in in this big production number and I had to be downstage right center and we had to do these trenches where your legs are like this constantly, you know, back and forth with your arms. And there was a, the, the lady of the lake stood on this little block right behind me. And she did the same movement that everybody else was doing. But since she was on a block, she could not move her legs. She only did her arms and she got injured at one point during the show. And I had been Mm. in the show maybe four months at that time. Mm. And she got injured and was still able to be in the show, but she couldn't get up on the block. So they came, Mm. the dance captain came to me. He said, listen, 
you need to step up on the block. Your character, she's going to go downstairs center. You're going to come up on the block. It's the only change you're going to make. And I said, oh, that's easy. He said, listen to me. It is not easy. He said, you're going to be doing that. You have been doing the same thing every single performance for four months. And when you get up on that bl block, your feet are going to want to do what they've always done. And I was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. And I got up there. And on that night, I thought I got this. No problem. All I was thinking about going into it was don't <laughs> let your legs. Lo and behold, Richard. Bam, my legs just automatically did it, and I almost fell on my ass right there on the stage. And it is because we get so used to doing yeah. something, and it's like that in every, I mean, it's not, it's far yeah. more than dancing, because I'm not a dancer, but you talk about muscle memory a little bit, too, and yeah. how little tiny things that we change can help we tell you explain it better than me the muscle memory you just, of no you i was just thinking we gotta go i was just like i would call my my agent clay Aiken's got it. I'm, <laughs> i don't talk this. to those agents don't do and, it <laughs> yeah and we're replaying that but you're right it is it is about muscle memory and you know this because being a, a performer of your excellence you understand that you've built up the muscles and the abilities that when you're on you don't you could be put in any situation, Clay, and you're just going to do it, right? You just, boom. You, Every time it, I do a concert, I am thinking about what's for dinner while I'm singing the song because <laughs> yeah. I am anything but what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I'm saying, it's like so natural for you, right? It's so it's so natural. And and the thing about muscle memory that we talk about with selflessness is because, you know, I tell stories about actually how Mother Teresa was not perfect and how she didn't do well and, you know, how she would be brought in for these grand, you know, um, uh, conferences and she would see somebody in the street and she would stop and talk to them for two hours and the, 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 the award ceremony would be waiting for her for hours and they basically had to pull her out of the program and it's like, Mother Teresa, come on. I mean, I, you need to do that. But, and she, so it, it was, she, although she wasn't perfect, we, we see her as this amazing person and it's, it is, it is absolutely, as you understand, real and, and fine. And the reason why muscle memory of doing these little things every day, these bite-sized things, these things that may appear to be um, not the huge thing that we might read in the news or read in the books is what the purpose of what we're trying to say is, that you don't go big. And, and a good example of that are the people that I mean, served us in the last year. I mean, April 9th, 2020, the first time in history we had half the world required to stay home. All of us, April 9th, 2020, half the world, according to um, AFP, you know, we were, we were home. Why are we able to stay at home? Because there were all these other folks that were bringing us food, that were making sure electricity was still coming on, the water was still running, we're working in all these plants and then the, the 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 big you know i guess video of, of the time were the cameras that would you know we, we would see people holding their well not people we'd see healthcare workers holding the camera here and they'd be right. talking in their car and they'd be going you know i don't know what this thing is i just lost five people and i was so upset because i couldn't connect them and their family and so i i facetimed if they could see the last moments and and we would, us journalists would be talking to them and then they would say at the end of these conversations, I got to go and I have to go back inside. And if that is not any indication of some muscle set that was built up that they would go back in, and it was because of their Hippocratic oath of serving people like you and me every day for so many years in their career that when it came to this strange, deadly virus they still went in every day and I wouldn't have gone in, um, but it's not my muscle set, right? It's their muscle set. They serve everybody medically and they've done it for years. Well, not, to, not yeah. to totally co-opt your, your analogy, but I mean, in, in many ways, what do we say that it takes how many days to form a new habit, right? And in many ways, for a lot of people, breaking that routine on April 9th, um, last spring was very difficult and slowly, I mean, for some people it didn't become easier, but for some people it became more routine what we've been in and they, you know, so I, I just 
the whole muscle memory thing was because I wanted to make sure you had a chance to underline that these are not, you don't have to do huge changes no, and sir. you don't have to become a different person. But your point no. is that if you can, if you can make sure you do, a, I mean, we've heard people say, do something small for somebody else every day. I mean, pass that on, pay it forward, whatever it is. Um, enough about me. Uh, it is an, you know, to do just a few things, you will eventually get to a point where it is part of who you are that you, you know, that you think about others before yourself, um, hopefully. Um, yeah. More and, often. And, and we can't do it always, but, no, <laughs> but more often we, we need to. Yeah. And the way you, you started the conversation about politics, like, you know, how many lunches are happening? Right. How many right lunches now. are actually, right? You mean yeah. of, the, of the kind you're talking about? Not yeah. many. Not right. many. Or if they do, because you also talk, and I can't remember the word that you use, but you also talk a little bit, are they, about how we also, and I want to move on to some listener questions because we got quite a few good ones for you, but um, you talk about how a lot of times we just avoid talking about certain things with some people. Um, the What do you call them? No-go, no-go zones? No-go zones, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so the lunches that are happening, a lot of people who are having those lunches are just... You know, they're not really getting to know people in that deep connection way. They're getting to know them in a superficial way and then passing judgment on them when they find out that or or getting or even worse, getting confused because they kind of like this person. But then they later hear that, oh, that person voted for Nader and now I can't like him anymore. <laughs> I told this just last week and I told it a hundred times. The fact that I went right after I campaigned. And, and lost, I went through the airport in Atlanta. Again, sorry, folks who are listening and you're like, damn it, you just told this last week. Get over it. Um, <laughs> I went through the airport in Atlanta and somebody, I went up to the counter and at the Sky Club and she said, oh my God, Clay Aiken, I love, oh, I used to love you so much. I can't anymore. And I went, what? <laughs> and she made it very clear that she had loved me. But then when she found out that I ran as a Democrat, she couldn't anymore. And I thought, you know, that is sort of not to call her selfish because we had a very nice conversation and we, you know, got, but you know, we have, we pass judgment on people based on very little that we know about them. I bet you with that conversation though, with her, if she felt that way that you um, showed her that it's not all that, right? You, you, whatever that X, Y, or Z that you might be, uh, or anybody I would hope. is. I would hope. I haven't yeah. put out an album since then, though, so I don't know if she would have bought it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's the test, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, we got a whole bunch of questions um, from listeners who knew you were coming in this week, um, and I want to pull a few of them, which are, I mean, they're all very good, uh, but I want to pull a few of them that kind of really relate to what you've been talking about. Nick from Portland, Oregon, I'm assuming, um, or Maine. Sorry, Nick. Um, Nick says, what's the best way to overcome a fear? Mm. Well, um, all of us, you, and you, I, I would love to hear what you would say too, Clay. Um, but I, I was scared of heights for a long time. Um, and what I did is I started uh, rock climbing. And if you want to put the fear of God into yourself, if you're scared of heights, uh, start rock climbing. And um, whenever there's something that I think is uh, that I'm scared of or I don't know is I, I learned that I need to therefore do the most research on it um, and, and go towards it. And so that's that's been my goal over personally, that's been my goal. So, Nick, I would say. Um, what's the bite-sized way of understanding what the fear is that doesn't uh, compromise your your health and your well-being, but will open up the opportunity to explore it with not without the the fear of failure because it's okay if it doesn't work out. You know, let's say the fear is meeting people that are not uh, at all like you. They believe in different things. They they may even hate people like you is to what's the bite-sized way that you reach out and figure out what they might be thinking. And, um, I, I've tried to do that because in the beginning of, if you didn't believe what I believe, because as you know, Clay, in the book, I, I talk about thinking I was, I was going to be the youngest apostle apostle in the history of the world. 
And uh, I decided <laughs> there's no way I, I could uh, be what my father thought I was going to be. And, but that, that erased the one or the zero. And I think one of the th- important things that I try to express in, in the book is that selfishness and selflessness is not a one or a zero. It's sort of this thing that, you know, we, we try our darndest and because of our imperfection that we may do something that is selfless, that's 51% selfless and 49% selfish. That's a step. And that does not negate. <laughs> What's that? I said, that's a step though. It's a, it's, that's it's, a step. Yes. That is 1% forward. And, and I think sometimes, at least the way I was brought up is in the beginning, it was either one or zero. And I was like, oh, no, it can't be this way because otherwise, all of a sudden, I'm not going to have any friends. You know, I'm just not going to – there's not going to be – there's there's no middle. There's no like – because there's one thing about humans is that we're not either evil or or good or perfect or not, right? That's just – that's an, that's not a reality. We're, we're, all, we're all kind of generally in the – below the 100 and above the zero, I would say that, I mean, ignorance, you, you touched on it. Ignorance breeds fear, right? Not being prepared, um, not understanding, not knowing breeds fear. And I, you know, I think, what, 75% of success is preparation, <laughs> if not more. Um, yeah. And, and yep. just making sure that you know what you are looking at. And so when you said to educate yourself about it, um, I also personally think that lowering your own expectations expectations for yourself n- has never prepared anybody for success ever um <laughs> saying oh i'm afraid of something therefore i'm going to avoid it is has i mean that that to me is is lowering an expectation of oneself if it's something you're afraid of and you and you have no need to you know if you're afraid of antarctica and you're probably never going to have to go there then maybe that's fine but to avoid but if you but if if it's something that you want to overcome then then you have to set a high expectation for yourself and yeah and i would say it's a high expectation but working at the expectation like you know like in your craft it's not like you you get there because one day you get up and all of a sudden it's there no so you work at every day or you luck out and get on a TV show that had a lot of people watching it. On one oh, come on. I know you work hard at your craft. Come on. Um, Brian from New Orleans asks, how can we fix selfishness and corruption in politics? That is a lot of question, Brian. How can we fix selfishness? Let me just ask, can we fix selfishness and corruption in politics? But you can answer either one of those. Yeah, I mean... Uh... <laughs> Wow, Brian. Gee whiz. <laughs> he uh, wants the solutions I, to the world's problems right here. No, I like it. It's just sort of like, let's throw out the big question and see if Richard, uh, you know, and obviously I, I say this as a yeoman and as a person, a person to person conversation with you, Clay, about it. And it's like, you know, the way we'd fix corruption in politics, there's a lot of specific ways. Um, I, we all wish that we can remove a lot of the monetary. Um, drives of, of what makes it work. And, and interesting. I want you to talk about this. More interesting. Well, I want to just, I want to stop you there for one second. Cause Brian, I, I will apologize. I didn't ask um, Richard the entirety of your question. His, his, <laughs> his second part of the question. And since you touched it, I'll bring it up. He said, the whole question is how can we fix selfishness and corruption in politics? Should we blame citizens United? And I was going to leave that out, but since you brought it in, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, look, you as a practitioner, and I've I've never run as a candidate. I think that we wish that money wasn't such a driver for the way that the day to day success might be determined. And you know, when I was analyzing the election in 2016, I was looking at members of Congress and candidates that were running and how money was a factor. And it was it was no surprise, you know, that you know what the average amount of money that you needed, which was definitely a lot is, you know, 1.1 million, 1.2 million on average across the country. That's a heck of a lot of money to raise for, to, to, to run for Congress. And, and as uh, someone who runs, by the way, a national charity where we have activities all over the country, (laughs) we can't raise $1.2 million for people to give money to that. But I tell you what, I raised $1.2 million for a race in a district with 750,000 citizens. Um, so yeah, priorities, folks. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm interested in your, in your perspective on that, Clay, because, you know, how do we do that? I mean, I, I obviously have a, a view, like I just mentioned, you know, removing some of the drive of what money might have an influence 
on the outcomes to answer his question, what would you say? Uh, I'm sorry to ask you. I'm I just mean, curious. No, it's fine. I, 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 I've always thought that money was a big problem, was, is probably the money gerrymandering. I go back and forth on those two. Those are my big two issues. But mm. um, I got to say, more and more recently, I think that we may have a problem with the fact that humans, human nature wants to win. And I'm not even convinced that money is the driving force mm. behind a lot of what we see so much as a desire to win at all costs is mm. a and I'll and I'll say this and I'll get a lot of hate mail for it so bring it on because I don't care um I don't sing anymore uh, but I I will say even in, in this week to to touch on a kind of hot topic issue it's been fascinating to me to see almost a seismic shift between democrats and republicans positions on corporate involvement in the political sphere um almost laughably, because I have always been a progressive who believed that corporations didn't really, don't really have a role in our political environment and shouldn't. And I hate the Georgia voting law. <laughs> I'm not a supporter of it. I don't like it. I don't think they should have done it. I wish they would repeal it. But I find it interesting that now the parties have switched places on that, and Mitch McConnell is saying corporations should not be involved in politics, and Democrats are saying, no, this is exactly what corporations should be doing, despite 20 years of saying corporations should not get involved. So when the CEO of Coca-Cola says we are going to be more forceful in lobbying um, politicians in the future, and Democrats cheer for it, I think, okay, are we doing this because, once again, we're being selfish and we agree with it because it's our what we like? Or, I mean, I don't, I don't love the abandoning of principles, and I think a lot of it has to do with a desire to win no matter what. And if, if supporting a corporation's right to lobby politicians helps us win, then let's do it. And if it doesn't help us win, then let's not. And I, I'm not in love with that hypocrisy personally. Yeah, I know the idea that you bring up that winning at all costs. Woo wee. Yeah. I mean, look, our, our country has been built on a winning culture and I understand what you're reflecting on and um, being in, in, in the businesses that we have been and are in, that is definitely a, a reality. Um, winning at all costs and going big, right? Going big, 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 big. It's also it the biggest reality show in America at this point. I mean, we, and I say that as someone who's been on a few. So, I mean, we had, back when I was growing up, when you were growing up, we had the news on at 6.30 and there was that CNN thing that was on for a minute. Yep. And then it was, yep. it was Bush v. Gore when MSNBC kind of surged forward themselves. And this Fox News, you know, in the last 20 years, we've seen news become entertainment for a lot of folks. And so the politicians who we normally didn't see, who we, the Elizabeth Doles, the John McCain's, the other Republicans yeah. who I wouldn't have voted for, but wish we could have back now, um, <laughs> were not spending all their time on TV trying to win. If they lost, they lost quietly, and people on the other side of the country did not realize that the senator of, of Idaho had lost his race. But now it is a, as someone who has also lost on national television, um, it's not fun to do necessarily. And it's kind of hurt, you know, it, it, it's an ego sh hit. And a lot of these politicians just don't want to be embarrassed. So it's just win and don't be embarrassed. But still loved uh, as very clearly. I <laughs> no, know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm in, not bothered by it at all. Yeah, I know. I know. In the case of this conversation, <laughs> though, very well loved. And uh, I have many exes that still uh, are huge fans of Clay Aiken. So <laughs> why will, the hell this, did you break up with him? They had uh, such good this, taste. I will, I will. I will share pictures of, of talking to Clay Aiken. But have, but I think I think you're absolutely right about that. All cost is is too much. And I think when it comes to what business can be. I mean, business was created uh, because feudal lords and, and, and royalty was running what we paid for stuff. And business, like you and me owning businesses, was created so that we could create more equity. Now, there are certainly ideas today, I would agree, that where we have extremes of that. But business was created so that you and I could create our own little stuff on the side or whatever 
so that we didn't have to listen to government to tell us what we had to pay or sell. And if I think we can move back to that space, which I think we're starting to see the idea probably of didn't sell- expect We probably didn't expect all of those businesses to be enormous at the time, though, right? And not, that's correct. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. That, that was probably part of the unexpected to be that they could reach these extremes. Um, and But the most important idea, I think, is that I, at least I'm seeing, like, for my case, that, that businesses become at times very selfless. And like for me being able to work two or three times a week to fly back to take care of my dad, you know, I, I can't say that I don't think that business can be selfless. And if it goes back to its origins of what it might have been initially, I think we'll rediscover this this happy medium um, of what it what it what it could be. Have you seen um, Ted Lasso on Apple TV? I haven't. You need to see it. It's very good. It's <laughs> okay. Jason. It's Jason Sudeikis, and he, you know, plays this British. Well, he plays good. this American yeah. uh, football American football coach who goes to coach a English football team. Um, so different types of football, and that's where the comedy comes in. And I have watched it four or five times. In fact, the, the lady who came off the block and switched spots with me and spam a lot. She's the lead lady in it, and she. Uh, so I watched it because I wanted to support her, but I fell in love with it. It is such a beautiful, Mm. I mean, it's got such an incredible heart. And I'll say it has, I've told so many people watching Ted Lasso and this character who is a comic, you know, is a comedic character, but is such a good hearted, selfless character makes me want to be a better person. I have watched the show 10 times. There we go. The the show (laughs) makes me want to be a better person. And I will say this, and I've never said it on this show before. Your book is very close to the same sentiment. So anyone who's listening Mm. at all right now, um, it's it's not a political, overtly political book, but I tell you what, when you, when you read it, it makes you want to do better or it should make you want to do better. If it doesn't make you want to do better, then you're, you need some help, but it should, it should. It certainly made me want to feel better. It's called enough about me, the unexpected power of selflessness. Um, and I really do encourage you. It's an easy read too. So you should, you can, it's not going to, there are a lot of facts and information and studies in it, but it's very digestible and it makes you want to do better and go and have lunch with that neighbor across the street that I'm thinking about right now. (laughs) But I realize I should probably reach out to and be nicer to. Um, So I really encourage you again, it'll be in our show notes, but um, enough about me, the unexpected power of selflessness, Richard Louie, I got to ask you, how the heck are we going to get along? I thought the way you just summarized was the answer. And I would say exactly that, which is the way we're going to get along is uh, the small thing, uh, the little thing that we can kind of grab onto because, as you know, the little things lead to bigger things. And so if we can just consider for a, for a moment um, what that might be, whether it's your decision that you make every 15 minutes, whether it's that lunch, whether it's that list, um, was thinking of saying hello to somebody else, giving $5 to, or a dollar to somebody else that needs it um, because it's not a perfect yeah, they're going to all of a sudden get out of the situation they are, but it might be a 51% possibility. Um, those little things will build to some big things, build to the big things I think that will change um, what we are as a country and, and, and what we do. And, and it doesn't have to be that home run or the grand slam. And I know a sports analogy I'm given right now, but that is, that is, that is I think, the way we'll make that change. <laughs> 